Go ahead and take your seats, church. So amazing to be uh, with you again. Uh, let me say that again uh, this morning. Um, we are uh, privileged today to uh, have Dwight Bernier here to, to bring the word. Dwight and Jess are right down here to my left. Dwight, why don't you come on up here uh, right now? And uh, Dwight, uh, as you know, like we, we were unaffiliated for a, about three and a half years, and we were doing some deep soul searching as a church, and then investigated a bunch of different options for affiliation. And uh, the Lord directed us over a long period of time. Dwight was so patient uh, over a long period of time to Acts 29, and we have uh, joyfully been part of that fellowship of, of churches uh, since um, late March of this year. And uh, and Dwight is the network director for Acts 29 Canada, based in Montreal, and so we're excited to have him here. And uh, he, he's coming off of a full week of ministry at NBC, Muskoka Bible Center, up in Huntsville area, and uh, so he preached nine times between Sunday and Friday, and then preached at nine o'clock today, so this will be his 11th sermon in seven days, and uh, seven, eight days, and so... Um, I, I know he's going to bring his best, right? You're not going to you're not just dialing it in at 11 o'clock here, are you? No, man, I'm, I'm ready. Oh, he's ready. So that's awesome. So we're the, the, Dwight's originally from Maine, and Jess is originally from Indiana, and they met in in Quebec and in, in Montreal doing ministry. They were on mission trips, and so two Americans met in Canada, had a heart for Canada, got married 12 years ago and uh, have been in Canada now for 11 years. They're citizens. They've done what, what most Anglos and the rest of Canada are unwilling to do. They learned French. Shame on the rest of you. God bless the Americans who came here and took mercy on us to do ministry in our country. So we're so grateful for you guys. But they're full-fledged Canadians now. They have four wonderful children who we had an awesome time getting to know at our house yesterday. And we love their kids so much that uh, we'd gladly invite them back again. That's how much we love this family already. And uh, they came to uh, Canada, came to Montreal and planted Church 21 in Montreal, which is a multi-site um, uh, bilingual church, French and English, uh, in, in, on the island of Montreal. And so we're super grateful to have Dwight here bringing us the word this morning. So welcome Dwight as he comes. Thank God bless you, you man. Yeah. Great. Uh, so last week when I started preaching uh, at Muskoka, I had had a seven-week break from preaching because I think for the previous, I don't know how many months, basically since COVID started, there were a few weeks that I had a break, but I would preach between three to five times every, every Sunday. And so we have this nice seven-week seven break was amazing. But last week, I told everyone the first, the first service, I said, listen, I have way more energy than most eight-year-olds, so I'm going to actually pray for a, a decrease of energy, but this morning would love for uh, the energy to be normal baseline. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here, and um, my, uh, my, my kids are somewhere around, yeah, I'm sure you'll meet all of them, but uh, they're so happy to be here uh, as well, as is my wife. So thank you for uh, welcoming us, like we feel really, uh, really loved and cared for, and the the team that leads hospitality. Thank you for everything that you do. I know that so many of you serve behind the scenes, and uh, and I just want to recognize that like we have been uh, cared for and loved, and uh, we're so thankful for for this church. Um, but I was, we were at a camp, and uh, I went to camp a few times growing up. Uh, I went two years, I believe, two years. And the first year that I went to camp, uh, I was that camper that if you were the counselor, you did not want me in your cabin. Uh, I did horrible things. Uh, my kids are probably watching the production thing. They're seeing how all this is happening. So I have refrained from sharing all the things I did. Um, but Thursday, I had that meet and greet with the director of the camp. And he said, if you don't change things, I'm sending you home. I'm like, bro, there's only like two days left. Like, what can you do? First of all, don't call a camp director, bro. And uh, second, like, just get your act together. Anyway, finished the week, and then I went home, and my parents were like, what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you get your act together? Why can't you just go to camp and be a good boy? And I looked at my mom, and I said, next year, Mom, I am going to win Camper of the Year Award. And she's like, Dwight, come on. That's ridiculous. We know you're not going to do that. Don't make these promises. Like, lower your expectations of yourself. I said, no, 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 next year. So next year came and went, and what did I win? Camp, wow, some of you are very sharp. Yes, I did. I won Camper of the Year. I don't know how I would illustrate this any other way, but Camper of the Year, I won. 
And I, I looked at my parents, kind of like held it up, and they were, they were amazed and shocked that that had happened. But do you know what I did that week? I just played the part. I played the part that people told me, you should be doing this. Be a good boy. Nothing against my parents in this regard. But you should be a good boy. So I was a good boy. I won the award. But do you know what was going on in my heart? I was just as arrogant that summer as I was the summer before. Nothing changed. I was just doing what I was supposed to do. I was playing. And it's so easy for us to play the part in life, isn't it? It's easy to live lives that are unreal, meaning that not your life is so amazing that it's unbelievable. It's that you actually live an unreal life. You are not authentic. One of the values of our culture today is authenticity. And we can live inauthentic lives so easily. We do this all the time. There was a study that was done and the study said that 75% don't like mirrors. And why do you think that is? Why don't people like mirrors? Shout it out. They don't like what you see. That's it. They don't like what they see. Mirrors reveal the truth. You ever had one of your friends see a picture that you took of them? And they're like, oh my goodness, I look horrible. I'm like, I know, I, just, I see you all the time like this. You only have to look at this one picture of you. You really do have four chins. Like, you didn't know this, right? We do this all the time. And so in order to even be able to see ourselves on social media, we have filters that, that cleans us up, right? There's like Snapchat where you can have things like flowing out of your ears or mouth, but you can use these nice filters that make you look better than you really are. And so what happens with that is that we engage with one another in social media and we look at our profile and we're like, wow, I look really good on this. But when we look in the mirror, we look much different. And so we end up not knowing ourselves and we end up not knowing others. And yet social media is such a driving force that it almost becomes real life for many of us. And we can pull that understanding, that philosophy of doing life into the church as well. That we can just play the church. We come and we know, we saw ourselves in the mirror that day, this morning. We know the things that we're struggling with. We know the, the issues of doubt. We know the frustrations that we just can't change in our lives. But we come into a place like this and everyone just seems so put together. Hiding behind a mask, right? At least we're willing to actually wear them now. <laughs> Before we had masks without masks. It's so easy for us to be the church in that way because we think that the church is just perma-smiles and having enough faith to believe that nothing bad is gonna come our way. And so James, we're gonna be in the book of James. James confronts a playing church. Now, James is written probably 10 to 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're saying resurrection of Jesus, I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I would just say like, if you don't believe in that, you're so welcome here. Right? The church should be the safest place to explore who Jesus really is. Because all of us at one time, we didn't believe in that either. Right? We came to understand that that was true. And if you struggle with some of the things that, that I talk about, you're like, I don't know if I can agree with that. I don't know if I believe that that's true. Well, do what C.S. Lewis gave us permission to do. C.S. Lewis wrote about miracles to all of his very intellectual friends that didn't believe in miracles. And he said, well, just pretend this is true. What would your life be like if these things were actually true? And how would you fit into this story? So if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I welcome you. At our church in Montreal, we expect that about 25% of people that come every week are not yet followers of Jesus. And I would just say you're most welcome. And you can talk to me after if you have questions or I spoke in a way that you're like, I didn't understand what you were saying. I'm so sorry. I would love to explain that to you later on. But 10 to 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, James writes this to the church. And what he does is he holds the mirror up. No filter. He holds the mirror up for you, get to, for you to get to see and for I to get to see how the church is playing church. But that would be a really discouraging message, wouldn't it? If I just talked about how we're playing church, but that's not what James does. He shows how we play church, but then shows us Jesus and the hope that we have and how we can turn from living this way and turn to live this way. So that's what we're gonna get at today. We're gonna identify ways that we might be playing church and turn back to what Jesus wants for us. And surely Jesus wants for Harvest Bible Chapel and for Church 21 to be the church 
Not play the church, not come to the church gathering, not as Todd said, check the box, but to actually be the church, to live out who we actually are. So let's get to work at this. Uh, in James chapter one, if you want to turn there, uh, if, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you can just turn all the way to the end and then work your way back from the end a little bit and you'll find James pretty quickly. Or you could go to the table of contents. Bible's amazing like that. They put a table of contents in there for people like us who don't know where all these things are in the Bible. So the book of James, it's in the New Testament. Bible's broken up into two big sections, Old Testament, before Jesus comes, New Testament, uh, the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and snippets from the first 85 to 100 years of Christianity. But we're in the book of James. James chapter one, verse 19 and 20 says this. Know this. My beloved brothers and sisters, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So here's what James is saying. He's saying playing church happens when we no longer continue to submit to God. Playing church happens when we no longer continue to submit to God. And he gives us three ways here in these two verses. The first one is when we say, I've heard enough. I've heard enough. James says, be quick to hear. But inside of the church, when we play church, we can say, I've heard enough. I went to the, the small group thing. I did the Bible study. I sat through the sermon series on the Bible. Like, I've done all the stuff. I'm ready to get going. I'm going to stop hearing. And I'm going to start doing. And that's valid, which we'll see in a little bit, that the church shouldn't just be hearers. We should be doing as well. But hold on to that. But we need to still be hearing as well. Playing church happens when we no longer submit to God because we say, I've heard enough and I'm ready to just get going. But listen to what James says in James chapter four, verse six and seven. He says, but God gives more grace. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Do you know what grace is? Grace is like Christmas time where you wake up. You remember being a kid? This was your experience. Waking up and you sneak out and you see all these presents, right? It's amazing. Like that's the idea of grace. But you know what? I've never met a kid that works through all the presents that were for them, that you get to the end and they're like, oh, thank you, mom and dad. I'm so satisfied and delighted with all the presents that I got. I'm so glad that there's no more presents under the tree. I think every child that I've watched when they get the last gift, they're like, surely that's not the last gift. And like they crawl under there and like almost knock the tree over looking for something that's not really there. And we're like, no, that's, that's all our grace. <laughs> that's all the grace we have for you today. And yet with God, it's not that way. This is why James is saying, be quick to hear. Because God wants to help you understand more about who he is. And not just understand more, but actually know him in this way. That God has infinite realities for us to explore in who he is. And so if you're saying, oh, I've done the Bible study on James 1, verse 19 to 27. Oh, I know all this in Greek. You're reading it in English in the ESV, you lame preacher. I know the Greek. We could get to the point where we become so proud that we no longer hear what James is actually saying to us and what the Spirit of God is saying through James to us. And so James is saying, playing is when we say, I've heard enough. And being the church is when we say, no, I want more. I want more. If you have more of Jesus to show me and share with me, Jesus, I want more of you. We don't want to play church. The second thing James says is that we play church when we are dependent on our ideas, our programs, and the past. It says that we're to be slow to speak, but playing church is when we're quick to speak. That we have the solution. We have the answer. We have a program for that. We have a way to be about this. That we think that James 1 can't be, not that we're giving a new interpretation, but that it can't be applied in a new way in our context today. I, during COVID, there have been so many churches that I've spoken to. And do you know what I hear? Can't wait till we get back to doing things the way that we did them pre-COVID. And I said, did you ever think that the Lord might have allowed for the church to go through this time so that he would do something new with the church? 
that we wouldn't just wait, wringing our hands, waiting to get back to do the same, not same old thing in a bad way, but the same old thing. He might be unleashing the church in a whole new way. Do you know what we did with our church? This is not to our credit. This is because the Spirit of God led us into this. We took our church that met in a theater downtown, and uh, we broke it up into uh, five, and, and we actually brought two of them together again. So now we have four different local churches. We're not going back to the theater. I want to go back to the theater. I like the theater. The theater was kind of comfy. The theater was nice because we had all these really slick things and it ran really nice. And now we're, we're back to like, it feels like we're church planning again, like four or five different churches. And yet that's what the Spirit led us to. It wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't what we planned. It's what He led us to. And so therefore, we're walking in that. And do you know what? We're seeing more people meet Jesus. And we're seeing for churches now, not being a regional church, but a church in neighborhoods. And we want to see lots of these things happen. We don't necessarily even want this to happen, but the Spirit of God does. And so we're not playing church. We're submitting to Him and saying, this is your church. You do whatever you want with it. You do whatever you want with it. We don't want to run back to the past, the way we've done things before. We want to be open to what the Spirit has for today. Because we have no idea what he's going to do today to, to lift up King Jesus. The third way that we, we play church by not submitting to him is when we get angry when people don't do what we want. The church is frustrating, isn't it? We don't always get along with everyone. We have a great idea and then someone's like, well, here's the nine ways that won't work. We're like, ah, muzzle them. You know, like don't let them talk anymore. My idea is really good. James says, be slow to anger, for the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. We all, in a sense, can find ourselves building our own little kingdoms. We have a little Lego set that we all have. We're all building these little kingdoms to our glory, and we say, ah, this is the church. This is what it looks like to be the church. And the Lord is overseeing all these little Lego sets, and he's like, boy, I really like that, and I like that, and I like that. And then he ends up toppling a lot of the things that we were building because we thought they were good, and then he brings them all together for his glory. He's so good, isn't he, that he even takes the things that we build for our credit, for our little kingdoms, and topples them gently and then allows for the things that were for him to keep going on. But we play church when we just get angry when people don't do what we want. And the church is full of people that are not going to do what we want. And that's not even the aim of the church. The church is to gather together to submit to what Jesus wants. The church is about Jesus. It's not about you. Your pastor, Todd, he is not the ultimate senior pastor of this church. Jesus is. The elders are not ultimately responsible for this local church. Jesus is. He's building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And that's good news for us. We play church when we moved on from letting God shape his church in real time into what he wants. Because we love our idea of church. And we can become complacent in playing the things that we've always played. But listen to what A.W. Tozer says. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. If you, if you find that your heart this morning is complacent, just, eh, whatever, just coasting through, enjoying, playing a bit, meh. Meh defines the complacent heart. Well, then Jesus doesn't want to take you and slap you. Jesus wants to take you and fix your eyes on him and to understand what it means to be the church. And here's what it means to be the church. In verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Meekness is power under control. It's not weakness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your Soul. So instead of playing church, we invite God to implant his word into the soil of our hearts and say, you do whatever you want to do with me. I'm giving up the reins. I'm giving up the steering wheel. I'm giving up the idea and the illusion that I'm in control and I want you to lead me. You might have been a follower of Jesus for many, many years and you found yourself into the, the control seat of your life. And Jesus is saying, I want to be there. 
I want to lead you into things that your mind can't yet fathom, that you can't imagine what I could do with you, for you, through you, but it's going to take you removing yourself from steering this thing. Being the church is inviting God to implant his words. And implanting really requires two things to happen. One is what James says, therefore put away. Putting away is this idea of removing, and it's specifically the idea of removing wax from your ears. My Nana suffered with this, that she would almost go deaf and they'd remove wax and it's like she could hear everything all of a sudden. You couldn't say anything about Nana again, otherwise she would hear. But we removed the wax. What's, what is that thing in your ears that stops you from hearing? Do you remember when you used to love to hear about Jesus? You would be so excited to hear about, about him and what he's doing, who he is. You would be overcome in worship and now you're meh complacent. What is it that's in your ears that needs to be removed? Is it tradition? You're just going through the motions. Is it your schedule? You're like, oh man, I'd love to receive the implanted word, but my Google calendar just says I don't have time for it. Therefore, Jesus, when I retire, I'll get to that later. Is it your distractions? Is it your hobbies? Hobbies aren't bad, but when they become distractions away from what's ultimate, like good is the enemy of great, right? That's a great um, business principle, but it's also a spiritual principle as well that we can have a life full of good things, but we're missing the main thing. We're missing Jesus. And so if that's you, if you haven't heard well, if you, if you struggle to have your affections rise for King Jesus, do you know what he says to you this morning? Hey, turn back to me. Turn back to me. Implanting the word is removing the wax, but secondly, it's receiving the word with humility. That God's words are really the only ones that matter eternally. Sometimes we find ourselves living for the affirmation of other people, don't we? It's easy to live for, for other people to like us, especially on social media, so we get a little dopamine kick. We can live for other people's approval. But God's words are the only ones that eternally matter. Let me remind you of a few words that are spoken over you if you are a follower of Jesus. But first, let me remind you of, of the gospel. We believe in a God who made all things, and we believe in humanity that messed all things up. So God made us to live under his rule and reign, and we said, no, 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 no. We have a better idea. We have a better way to rule and reign. And so we tried that, and what got brought into the world? Death. Death comes from rebellion, sin, trespasses, lots of words in the Bible for that. But, but Jesus loves us so much that he came and he went to the cross on our behalf and died for the sins, the rebellion, and trespasses that we had done against him so that we could be brought into his family. He intentionally came for us. He was not a victim. He was not a victim. I remember I was a brand new Christian and that's when Passion of the Christ came out. Like I was a few months old in my Christian walk with Jesus and we went to see Passion of, of the Christ. And I just remember people like weeping in there. And I mean, it's a, it's a brutal movie. And I, I remember asking like, what, like what's going on? They're like, oh, we feel so bad for Jesus. And I'm like, you, you know we did that on purpose, Right? Like, you know he wasn't the victim. He intentionally walked toward that for you and for me. And the passion of the Christ kind of ended with this like, and then he kind of rose. But instead, it should have ended with Jesus like upending out of the grave, right? Showcasing the fact that death is now in the process of dying. That sin is no longer ruling and reigning. That Satan has been dealt his final blow. That sin, Satan, death, and hell will not last because Jesus is alive. And that's the word that we need planted into our hearts. And the words that come because of Jesus rising from the grave is the word spoken over you, forgiven. Some of you struggle to forgive yourselves for things. And Jesus says, I know everything you did. I know everything you will do. And you're forgiven because of what I've done in your place. And not only that, the word that's spoken over you is you're free. You don't have to go back to sin anymore. You don't have to go back to that slavery anymore. You're free. 
and you're not forsaken. Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He let out this cry of dereliction, the scream of the damned, so that you and I never ever have to say, God, why did you forsake me? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, he never will. You're his, he's written. I love tattoos. He's tattooed your name on his hand. He will not forget you. You will not be forsaken ever. You will never taste what the wrath of God tastes like because Jesus on the cross drank the full cup of it for you and now you get the cup of salvation to enjoy and celebrate for all of eternity. And the word that's spoken over you is, my child, you're part of my family. God doesn't have you as an acquaintance. You're brought in to his family. You're a beloved son and daughter and he treats you like Jesus, he gives you an inheritance and a place with him, and that's going to last forever. And if, and if that wasn't enough, he also calls you friend. And he wants to grow in his friendship with you. You need fresh encounters. Playing church doesn't let you have fresh encounters. You need fresh encounters with the living Jesus. Now, the second way that we play church is we play church by hearing but then forgetting. We hear, but we forget. Listen to verse 23 and 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Um, My dad uh, passed away about a month ago. He had pancreatic cancer, and he lived for 15 months after the diagnosis, which is quite remarkable, and and not many people uh, do that. I think 17 or 18%. Uh, do that. But 15 months ago, uh, we got the call that you never really want to get, uh, the cancer, cancer call, and uh, that, that changed everything for us as a family and for my dad. And the minute that we found out what was actually going on, it was like, well, what do we need to do? How do we fight? That was my dad's attitude. We want to put this thing inside of me to, to death and live as long as we possibly can. But do you know what would have been foolish of my dad is to see that scan and be like, you know what, I'm just going to leave and forget about it. I'm going to forget that you told me this information. I'm going to forget. I'm going to go live like this really doesn't exist. And yet that's exactly what we do as the church. We hear, we see the scan, and then we leave and forget and nothing changes. And not just the bad stuff, but we also see the glory of Jesus. We have these incredible moments of him showing his adequacy. And yet we leave and we get back into the meh, the complacent reality, which is aiming to destroy all spiritual growth. And spiritual amnesia after a while takes over, and we just really are playing the part, but we're not, we don't have affections that are rising for Jesus. We hear, we hear that we're kids. We hear a message like this, oh yeah, I'm a child of God, okay. But then we leave and we go live as orphans and we take our little cups and we go to the world and we say, would you please give us some value, meaning, and purpose? And we forget We live as orphans when we've been called children of the most high God. And we can live with a poverty mindset where we live all of our lives begging for someone to please give me approval. When God has said, but you're mine. What more approval do you need? We play church and then we forget the word. But being the church means that we hear the word and we live accordingly. We hear the word and we do. Listen to verse 22 and 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the gospel, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, there there are two camps within Christianity. I know this is like really broad, but on one side, we have the side that we really like theology. We want to get all our, our, our points of theology correct. We want our statement of faith to be amazing and have chapter verses, all that. The other side is Christianity says we just want to be doers. We want to get out there and make a difference. We want to impact our world. And we can set up this wall in between the two as if like, well, you guys don't really care about you know, the doing and you don't really care about theology. And we have all these blogs that are just there to throw like bombs at one another over the little wall. Both sides need to read James, don't they? Be hearers of the word. Be good theologians. And be doers of the word. Work out that theology. We need both of this. And let me be clear. We don't do something for an identity. The God, God 
doesn't have you in application mode. He's not looking at your application to be a follower of him, examining you. Oh, are you really going to be a good asset for my kingdom or not? Could you really perform? He doesn't do that. He rescues us by sending Jesus to die and rise for us. He gives us a new identity. And then he says, because you're my sons and daughters, live this way. We don't live this way so we can become sons and daughters. We're not little boys and girls so we can, good little boys and girls, so we can become something. We live this way because we are already sons and daughters. And I find we get that all mixed up in the church. We think that we become something because we do something, but the gospel says we are something, so we do. Let me illustrate this with just one illustration. We were, we were adopted by God. God found, sometimes we feel like, man, God is so lucky that he has me. But do you know what he did? He went to the orphanage and he's like, who are the worst kids here? And they hand him a list. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take them. I'll get them. And I'll, I'll bring them into my family and adopt them to showcase that it's not about how good you were before me. It's about my grace and mercy moving at you and bringing you into my family because of who I am, not who you are. And so we're adopted by God and brought into the family. And so we are family. And some of us think of the church as a business or an organization, but it's not that. We are a family. And families don't leave family. And I get it. This isn't a thing for me to say never leave a church or anything like that. Forget that out of your mind, okay? But if we're really family, then we are going to do things that families do. We're going to bear with one another. I'm going to drive uh, back to Montreal, my wife and I will, with four little kids. There's going to be a lot of bearing with one another because that's what we do, because we are family. It's not, we'll see if we become a family with how well we bear with one another. In the church, I don't think we bear with one another long enough. I think something happens and we're like, well, that's awkward, not going back there, not going to engage with this, move on. And we miss some of the goodness of the gospel work that Jesus wants to do in our lives. How many confrontations that I've had with people that have resulted in beautiful relationship, I can't even, I can't even count. Because we bear with one another. We work through hard stuff together because we're family. We forgive one another because we're family and we've been forgiven everything. We love one another, not just in word, but also in deed. John tells us in 1 John 3, 18, to love not just in word, but in deed, in doing. They should know that you love them. The church means that we hear and we act. Hearing always leads to doing. What have you been hearing that you need to act on today? What have you individually been hearing that you need to act on today? And if I had much more time, I would leave an awkward 30 seconds where you would think that I forgot where I am because I'm just leaving it to linger. But I think we're just like waiting for me to say the next thing without actually reflecting. What has God been saying to me that I need to act on now? What are you addicted to? Is it your phone? Is it approval? Is it a substance? Is it What's your addiction? Is it pornography? And you kind of have just made up this deal in your mind. I'm just going to leave this thing in this little room over here. No one's going to know about it. And it'll just be this private thing. And I'll make sure to ask forgiveness after it. And you set up this whole weird deal of playing church. Where God is saying, I, I want to I burn down that part of your life. And he might set fire to it. Some of our most precious things that we want to hold on to and, and worship. God is so kind to be like, yeah, I'm going to burn that down now. I'm going to reveal that. I'm going to expose that so that other people know so that, so that you get to come into real freedom. If he's calling you to act, don't wait. Allow for today to be the day of freedom for you. You, you don't have to go back to that dark room anymore. You're really free. What is he saying that you need to act on? Are you, are you at, at work trying to just show people what, what a good Christian looks like, but you know that he actually wants you to speak to that person about this aspect, or you know that he wants for you to tell people about him in your neighborhood. You're like, ah, you know what? 
I'm sure Pastor Todd's going to come up with an excellent outreach strategy. I'll just wait for him. I'm just going to submit to my leaders. It's like we put Bible verses in the moments that we don't want to do something. I'm just submitting to my leaders. They'll figure it out. Like, yeah, but what about that whole Bible verse around all of us being ministers of the gospel and uh, all of us being empowered by the Spirit and all of us being called on mission to go make disciples? What is it that you need to act on today? And I'm not going to give a plethora of examples because I think that you know what the Lord is asking you to do or rather telling you to do. And you're saying, no, I'm not going to do that. You see, Jesus desires his church not to be statement of faith affirmers. Oh, I affirm the statement of faith. Harvest Bible Chapel, sure, I'll sign that. But then to, to do that out in real life, to live as if you actually believe in a sovereign God that's in control of everything to believe in a God that would come and lay down his life so that we could go and lay down our lives for other people as well. I, I preached to a group of students this past week too. That was, a, that was a, uh, an interesting sermon that was just added on to everything. But I'm like, do you know what I think I should pray for you for? I think I should pray for some of you to be sent into places like Afghanistan where you would go and lay down your lives so that people would know uh, who God is. I don't know what he's going to do with that, but maybe God is calling you to actually move to a, a very hostile place to Christianity and go and lay down your lives there. Don't hold on to, to Barry. Don't hold on to Canada. We didn't hold on to the United States. Todd confessed my sin that I was born in the U.S., all right? Um, sometimes I don't tell people that, especially when I'm traveling abroad in places where they don't necessarily um, like them. But don't hold on to things so tightly that you're not ready to let go of them to do whatever Jesus wants for you to do. And surely Jesus wants for us to get outside of the church building and church activities to demonstrate his rule and reign through showing and telling his graciousness. Lastly, the last playing church and being the church thing is that playing the church is worthless. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James goes for the jugular. I, I preach all week throughout the book of James. And I just said all week long, James is gonna go for it, but he's gonna bring life. He's gonna bring Jesus. He's not just attacking you. He wants you to see Jesus. But here it is. If we're playing church, it's absolutely worthless. Worthless. No one is gonna give you a gold star. No one's giving you a participation trophy. In fact, we wanna help you as the church to do all things for the glory of King Jesus. And King Jesus will reward you the way that he wants to. And the primary reward is not some sweet mansion on the same street as Jesus, but is being able to be with Jesus. Do we get that? Some of us have illusions of, of heaven and we're so excited about what heaven's gonna be like that we can almost imagine it without Jesus being there. But the idea of heavens and new heaven and, and new earth coming together is that Jesus Christ is there. We're going to want to linger longer with him because he's better than anything else that he has in his new creation. Trying to be a good boy or girl unplugs us from the purpose and the power of the gospel. And so therefore, we can, it can actually be destructive to other people. If you're discipling someone and you're saying, just, just be good, man, just be good. How? How am I going to be good? Lead me to the good news. Lead me to the gospel that I can't be good on my own, but Jesus was on my behalf, so now I can obey him, right? Lead me to that. Lead me to the purpose and the power of Jesus. And do you know what Jesus wants to do? We want to play church so we feel good about ourselves, checking the box, I'm doing the right thing. But Jesus is saying the church ultimately is my people receiving more of me. Jesus wants to give more of himself to you. This is the best news my goodness, I want more of Jesus. I am not satisfied with what I know, how I know Jesus so far. I want more of him. That's like the burning desire of my heart is to know Jesus more. And I want for you to know him more. Listen to Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. I mean, that's epic enough, but then it keeps going. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, which means that he has started the new creation already. 
that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Binge watch Jesus. Binge watch Colossians 1. My goodness, Netflix is so lame. Disney Plus is horrible compared to Colossians 1. Put your face in there for nine episodes and see how Jesus doesn't reveal more of himself to you. Don't play church. Get yourself with Jesus. Explore him. Do you really know him? Or you just, do you just know a bunch of stuff about him? I want to know my wife. I don't want to just learn lots of facts. When the kids go to bed, hey, uh, honey, could you tell me some more facts about you so I really get to know more about you? Like, I want to know her. I want to know the way that she thinks, the way she acts, the way she moves, when she's frustrated. She doesn't ever get frustrated. It's just me. But I want to know Jesus that way. I want to sense when he's moving. I want to know when he's speaking. I want to feel what he's feeling. He invites us into that. This isn't something for mystics. This is real life Christianity. That Jesus walks with me. Kanye West got it right. He got a lot of things wrong. But Jesus walks with me. He's he's pleased to be called your friend. You think maybe God is embarrassed by you. He's not embarrassed by you at all. He's pleased to be called your friend. God takes pleasure in you. Playing the church is worthless. But being the church means we get to worship God by doing what he is about and Jesus is storming the gates of hell. When I was a kid, there was a go to work with your dad day or parents day, and I would always go to work with my dad. He was a carpenter, and so I'd go to work with him. And uh, I, I was probably more of a nuisance than anything else. He would put me up on a roof. I questioned my dad's wisdom as a young child, right in my third grade, up on roofs. And I was like, I wasn't roofing. I was there like throwing nails in the neighbor's yard. You know, like that's. Remember, I got kicked out of camp almost, right? This is the type of kid I was. Um, But I love going to work with my dad. I didn't benefit him at all, but I was with him. And I love being there with him. And God is saying, come to work with me. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm storming the gates of hell, making a people from every tribe, tongue, nation around the world. I'm rescuing them, redeeming. Do you want to go to work with me? And I'll empower you. I'll give you all the energy. I'll do it all. You just be with me. That's what we're invited into. Being the church means we worship God by doing what he is about. And listen to what he's about. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God wants for us to care for the least, the forgotten, the marginalized, the outcast. Why? Well, by doing these things, one, it's his heart, But by doing these things, it's reminding us of who we were, that we were the downcast, that we were the marginalized, that we were the outcast. And what did Jesus do? He came for us. And it reminds us as we're ministering to these people that that we were them and that God wants to love them through us. Did you know that the marginalized are front page stories in the kingdom of God? Did you know that the homeless are front page stories in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we don't like to be about those ministries because like, ah, it's going to be kind of messy. It's like, well, did you read when Jesus called people to follow him? He says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, which means die to all the things you thought you were going to be doing. Die to your idea of middle class ministry and come and love these people. Love people that can never pay you back. Love people that can never be equals in a socioeconomic level. Humble humble yourself and don't go serve them so that you're like, wow, I am playing church really well. Serve them because my love is moving in you for them. And no one in the world is going to reward you for being the church in this way. But we died to living for that anyway, didn't we? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so anything that, that, that we do is really for his glory and out of his desires. And we're really invited to live in him. Jesus is like an apartment building. And he invites us to move into him. To allow for living in him to change everything about us for his glory. So no more performing. 
You don't have to perform anymore. You're free. You don't have to play church. You don't have to be a hypocrite. You don't have to use the, the filters. You're really free to live joy-infused, Christ-saturated, spirit-empowered lives where you get to go to work with your dad as he changes the world. Let me end with this. James, James understands you. He gets you. He was a, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, and he thought that Jesus was absolutely crazy. You can read about that in the, the gospel accounts of, of life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But James was changed. James went from thinking Jesus was crazy to be crazy about Jesus. He saw the true Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He saw the mirror of Jesus, which showed James's need for him. And James ended up worshiping his big brother. Do you know why I know the Bible's true? One of the ways is that you have a little brother worshiping his big brother. How many of you have big brothers that you're just dying to worship? And yet James says, no, I'm all about my big, my big brother, Jesus. James led the church in Jerusalem, and in 62 AD, he was, he was killed. Why was he killed? Because he was a doer of the implanted word. He cared for the least. He was unstained by the world and was glad to stick his neck out if that's what following Jesus led him to because he had already lost what he thought life was before and he is clinging on to the only life that he had in Jesus. He, he lost all control. So let's respond together. For you are, you, are you really a follower of Jesus? You don't have to do like morbid introspection at this. Are you really a follower of Jesus? If you're not, receive him this morning. I remember uh, it was 18 years ago, and uh, I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't want Jesus leading my life at all. And I tell people, it's a long story, but I tell people that Jesus broke into my apartment, and I had this conversation um, saying, okay, Jesus, if you're real, I'm all in. If you're not, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. This will be a funny story to tell uh, one day. And it was like someone took my mind and gave me a new mind, new heart, new desires. And from that day, all I've wanted to do is talk to people about Jesus and tell um, them about him who breaks into the houses of the worst of all sinners. Like I was a really bad dude. The worst of all sinners and rescues people like me. And if he can rescue someone like me, then he wants to rescue you as well. Are you really a follower of Jesus? Would you receive him today? Have you been playing church? You've been playing, well, give up. Man, Christianity is all about quitting. That we quit trying to be our own savior and we trust him and that we live under his lordship, that Jesus is the true prime minister. We're having an election that's coming up, right? But that doesn't ultimately matter in the grand scheme of things because the one who is the true prime minister is already seated on the throne. He's the one leading Canada. You, have you been playing church? Well, give up. And if you've been hearing being the church and you're like, this is what I'm doing by the grace of God, well, keep going. Keep exploring the unfathomable depths of Jesus. Keep having fresh encounters with him. Don't just do a 20-minute little Bible reading in the morning. Set alarms for every 15 minutes to go off so you're reminded throughout the day, oh, Jesus, you're here. You love me. You've accepted me. Set um, set a, a ringer on your phone to go off after meetings where you're like, oh, I know that I'm going to be a, seeking approval from this person. And when it goes off, you're like, oh, I'm reminded that I have approval in the Father, not based on what happened in that meeting, but based on what happened in the meeting on the cross for me. And you are empowered by the Spirit. My goodness, do you know what could happen in Barry? There were 120 people gathered together in a room, and the Holy Spirit came and then those people left, and the world has never been the same since. Why couldn't that happen in Barrie? Why couldn't revival come to Barrie? I pray that Montreal becomes the most reached city in the world, going from the least reached city in the Western Hemisphere to the most reached city in the world, that people's normal conversations would be around how they're better understanding a hypostatic union and how Jesus is both God and man at the same time over brunch. Right? That's, that's a type of stuff that we want to have happen, and it can. Persevere in that. And one day, one day that mirror that James speaks about is going to reveal that you are like Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians that when you see Jesus face to face, you're going to be just like 
him. So today, give up. My goodness, give up. Let him do this. I'll, I'll, I'll really end with this. I know I say I'll end with this a lot. It's a problem I have. It's my safety, safety phrase. Because I feel like you don't want me to go that long. I deal with approval issues. Um, but my dad, he just passed away, and, uh, and I was in the hospital with him, and he got to pass away at home uh, with family all around, and uh, just, you know, I wish I could tell you the story. I delight in telling the story of, of that, but when we were in the, his hospital room just before he came home, he was very lucid and um, was able to speak and all these things, and we were talking, and I read him a, a chapter from Gentle and Lowly about that Jesus Christ will love you to the very end. And he will be the one that welcomes you into your new beginning and all this. And my dad said a few things. He commissioned me. He said, this is what I want you to do with the rest of your life. That's what I want to do with the rest of my life, dad. And then he said, Dwight, I just can't wait to see Jesus face to face. I just want to be with Jesus. And you don't have to wait till you're on your deathbed to say, I just want to be with Jesus. Because Jesus is with you right now. And when you leave today, you don't go alone. Jesus is with you. You go with him, and he, he's going with you so that you can know more about him, exploring him, and sharing him with all those that you encounter. So let's give up on playing church and be the church and allow for Jesus to transform us in this place. I'm gonna pray, and then uh, the band will, will come up. Jesus, oh, I'm so thankful that you are our rescuer. I want to pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you that today they would encounter you and submit by faith to you, that they would trust that you are, that you are the true and, and living God and that, that they, there is no one so bad that your, your grace and forgiveness can't touch them and redefine them. Jesus, I want to pl- pray for those of us who have been playing church. I ask that you would uh, stop us in our tracks today and that we would, we would see we don't have to do that anymore that we can be the church and that, that you have grand visions of what the church could be here in Barrie and, and in Canada and around the world. I know that this, this local church is connected to, to local churches all over the world. Would you allow for them to have a global kingdom vision? And would they stop playing? I wanna pray for those who are here uh, who the enemy might be using these words to condemn them. Would you, would you silence the enemy and his words of condemnation? And would you allow for, for the song, I am a child of God, to be, to be ringing in their ears and hearts. And I pray for, for Barry that you would bring a great awakening to Barry. That you would allow for, for people to understand you in a whole new way. That they would be awakened. That new churches would be planted. That new gospel outposts uh, would, be, would be placed so that people can encounter you all throughout this area. Lord, bring revival to Canada. Allow for Canada to be a a nation submitted to you, true dominion of of you. And allow for so much gospel work to be happening here that we have to export that all over the world. May the nations be glad because of the work that you're doing in Barrie, Montreal, and in all of Canada. We love you, Jesus. I love you. Can't believe that you would let me call you my savior and my friend. And thank you for my family who who is here. And thank you that one day you're going to remove all sin and suffering. One day you're going to wipe away the final tear from our eyes. And I look forward to, to seeing you face to face with my brothers and sisters here. We love you. Amen.